been reading from Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Our New Testament and sermon passage from 1 John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has not been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who are watching online, a warm welcome to you. My name's Jamie, one of the pastors here, and if you're visiting, you're actually privileged to catch the very last sermon in our series in 1 John. (laughs) And so today we have two perplexing verses. Uh, Look at verse 14. You can ask God for anything, and you might be saying, really? Anything? But then look at verse 16. There he says, uh, do not pray for the one who commits the sin that leads to death. And you might be thinking, I thought he just said, we can pray for anything, but don't pray for that. And then what's this thing about leading to death? So we're going to address those two verses. But I want you to do is actually see the main idea. And there's this word that's repeated uh, several times, actually seven times in this passage, Uh, 32 times in the whole book of John, it's this word know, that you would know. And when John uses the word know, it's not just a head knowledge, but he's saying this is, I want you to know as a deeply seated trust, that this is something that you're resting in. And so today what the apostle says is this, when you know that Jesus is the Son of God, there are then three things that you can know for certain. You can know that you are heard in your prayers. Uh, You know that God will help you to overcome to the very end. And then also he says, you can know that you will always belong to him. And so those are gonna be our three points. Uh, Instead of using the word no, I'm gonna use the word confidence. And so we can have confidence in prayer, we can have confidence in overcoming sin, and we can have confidence in your fellowship with God. What's the big idea? It's this, because Jesus has come. Be confident in God's love. 
Before we go further, would you pray with me? God, we stop and pray because we need you. Holy Spirit, would you blow upon me to make my words your words, but also open the, the ears, open the hearts of those who now listen, that we might receive your word and be confident, be different, because your word has come to us. Jesus, we pray in your name because there is no other name. There is no other name that we might come before the Father. So we pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, the confidence in prayer. Because Jesus has come, you can pray to God confidently for anything. Now, that's a big statement, so let's break it apart. So the first part is praying to God. We need to remember that sin has created a barrier. Sin has, if you will, brought separation from God. And so we need someone or something to provide a way back to the Father. At Jesus' death, um, the Scriptures record that when he died, something happened when he died at the cross. Um, The curtain that was in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place, it tore from top to bottom. And if you remember, that curtain is that which separated uh, the holy God from a sinful people. If you will, it was a barrier of protection from God's holiness. And when Jesus died upon the cross, the Bible says is that he removed that barrier of protecting us from God's holiness by actually becoming holy for us. One of the uh, things that John, in this letter, 1 John, has been developing is that Jesus makes us legally Uh, acceptable before God. Jesus comes and because of his blood shed upon the cross, we are forgiven. We are justified. But then also John's been bringing out that we have a relational acceptance before God. We have been reconciled. We are now at peace with God. And one of the terms that John has been using, we have fellowship with God. And then he says, and look at verse 13, there's a certainty of this fellowship. Through faith, you know that you have eternal life. Now it's true that anyone can pray, but not everyone is heard because not all have faith. Let me give a classic example. So back in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 18, we have what we call like a prophet showdown. There's a prophet, God's prophet, Elijah, and then there are the false prophets of Baal. And God comes to the people and says, who are you gonna follow? You're gonna follow God, the true God, or Baal, the false God? And so they have like this sacrifice showdown and the false prophets, the prophets of Baal, they're crying out to God uh, and they're crying out loudly. If you will, they're screaming out their prayers and yet nothing happens to their sacrifice. Elijah comes, he takes the sacrifice and he douses it with water three times and the water's overflowing and he prays a simple prayer And fire from heaven from God comes down and licks up not only the sacrifice, but all the water as well. And what you see here is though the prophets that were false, they prayed, and they prayed very loudly, very dramatically, God heard them, but he didn't listen to them because they were not prayers of faith. Elijah, he was heard because of his faith. Think about how we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. We pray that not as formula, not as superstition. Uh, We pray that as a faith relationship. 
When I'm saying, God, I pray to you in Jesus' name, what I'm saying is, God, I belong because of what Christ has done for me. Jesus, when I pray in your name, it's because I'm loved because of what you have done for me. And so I am heard because of what Christ has done to secure access before a holy God. And so because Jesus has come, we can pray to God. Let's develop this out. We can pray to God confidently. Look at verse 14. This is the confidence that we have toward him. Now, normally when we use that word confidence, we think of things such as self-assurance. I know that I'm right, or I can trust in myself. This is a word that's used very differently, um, very simply, literally it means open or plain talk. It's a word that means you have a certain amount of boldness with another person. And so what it's saying is, is you can trust the depth of your relationship with that person. What John is saying is when you pray to God confidently, you are praying to God boldly. You are praying to God openly. You're saying, God, I do not doubt that I am a much-loved child, and so I can pray to you. What is the basis of this confidence? It's this. It's not that I've been praying really hard. It's not because I have the right formula. Um, it's not because I'm a really good person or worthy. It's because of what Christ did upon the cross. Do you see that? Jesus has brought us access before God. Jesus is the one who has changed our standing before we are enemies, and now we are children, daughters and sons of the living God. And so what that means is, is God never tires of your prayers. Those of you who are parents, when your child asks for, like, say, a drink of water at three in the morning, you know that can be annoying, but still you do it. Why? Because you are the parent, and you delight in caring for your your child, you say, of course, how much more with God? When you are made to be his son or daughter, you can shamelessly approach God because you are so loved. You have assurance that he hears your prayers because of who Christ has made you to be. Let's continue. You can pray to God. You can pray to God confidently, but you can pray to God confidently for anything. Look at verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, you might just say, how can John write that? How can you ask for anything from God? What John is doing is he's remembering the words of Jesus and we have those words recorded in the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, verse 13. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Chapter 15, verse 7 of the Gospel of John. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, whatever you wish, Ask, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Chapter 15, verse 16. I, you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Chapter 16, verse 23. 
In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, you <laughs> that sounds too good to be true. In fact, we have a hard time believing those passages. We say those passages are over the top. Friends, it's not tricky use of words. It's very simple. God is saying we can ask him for anything. This is the depth of the relationship that we have with God when you are in Christ. You can shamelessly pray for anything. Now, someone might say, okay, but there's a catch. Look at what John says in the epistle. John qualifies that you can ask anything according to God's will. And often that disappoints us. <laughs> See, we want to ask for millions of dollars. We want to ask for that new Tesla. Wouldn't that be fun to go zero to 60 in under 3.0 seconds? Some of us want fame. Even if it's 30 seconds of fame that's viral on the internet. We want beauty. We want to be noticed. We want to be better than others. See, we have these desires, but sometimes they feel inappropriate, and so we still think about them, we dream about them, and so we still are, if you will, praying about it. We're just not asking God formally. We're just saying it's a desire. It's a wish. What John is saying here is since you are a child of God, you have freedom to ask for anything. Listen, even for the millions of dollars. You can ask for anything, even that Tesla. Now you may be saying, really? Follow with me. All right. How do you know God's will? We know God's will through three primary ways, and that's through his word, through prayer, and through God's church, the community. And so the word of God says, when you bring a request, uh, does that request agree with God, or does it, you know, violate a command or a principle of God? Basically, the word helps you understand what you're asking for. Does it harm you, or does it help you? Prayer. Prayer is sharing your heart with God, but also prayer is listening to God's heart. And so the focus is not necessarily you, it's actually God. And so when you are asking for anything, you're saying, God, is this thing good for me? Does this thing bring glory to you? Is this thing helping me to know you and become more like the Lord Jesus Christ? The community. Can you imagine sharing your prayers with other people in the community and you're saying, this is what I was thinking of praying. I was thinking of praying for a Tesla. What do you think God would say? Uh, and this is an opportunity for God's people to speak into that and say, what is the wisdom of many here? So let's give an example. Say there's a person who just really wants to be beautiful. They want to be handsome. They want to be better or different than the rest. What does the word of God say? The word of God says, the beauty of this world is fleeting. It is passing away. In fact, the word of God says, the beauty that really matters to God is not the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart of a person. What does prayer say? As you would pray, as you pray and you say, God, this is what I want to be so beautiful, and then God speaks back and says, not only is beauty fleeting, that's a very selfish motive to want to be better than others. So you bring this to the community and you say to the community, I just want to be beautiful, I want to be handsome, I want to be better than the rest. 
And the community of God says, that sounds like an idol. Well, that's all negative. Let's even put it into the positive. When we bring it to the word and we say, God, I want to be beautiful, the word of God says there is a beauty that is beyond the physical. In 1 Peter chapter 5, there it talks about a woman of beauty is not just her outward adornment, but it is actually her heart. It is her spirit before God. There is a true beauty that is to be sought and desired. When we bring it before prayer, and then God says, you know what, you're secretly just wanting people's approval. And there's an approval that's better. That is the approval of God, if you will. That is an ultimate beauty that I bestow upon you because when you are in Christ, I see you as the most beautiful because I see you as my son, Jesus. And when you bring that before the community, the community says, I get that you want to be beautiful, but we love you just the way that you are. You don't have to be something different. You can be who you are, and you are loved. And so when we think about these three things, we can bring any prayer to God. I get it. We want yes to all of our requests, but often God's no is the sweetest answer. Do you hear that? You see, God's no is love, and God's no is somehow bringing us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. God's no is often his way of saying, this is how I show that I cherish you by not giving you something that's actually going to lead you away from me. So according to God's will, it's not a catch, but it's confident faith. You see, when Jesus is your life, because he's my life, <laughs> I don't want anything to take me away from that life. And so I'm going to pray in such a way, God, keep me close to Jesus, because Jesus, you are the source of my life. Now, as we continue on, look at verses 16 and 17. Here we see some instruction of how to confidently Pray for those who are wrestling with sin. Now, this is not a new topic. In chapter 2, verse 1, there we saw John says, I write these things so that you may not sin. He's like this spiritual father. And as a spiritual father, uh, the one thing we want for all of our kids is we want our kids to be close to Jesus. And sin takes us away from Jesus. And that's why he's saying, don't sin. So look at verse 16. The first half is pretty clear. When you see a Christian slipping away from God, he's saying, don't just sit there and worry about it. Don't talk to others about it. He says, do something about it. And the first thing that you do is you pray. And then he says, as you pray, then what he says is, look, God will give that person life. And so as you're doing something, this is really the same spirit of the apostle James in chapter 5, verse 20 of James' epistle. There he says, if you bring anyone back from their sin, you save their soul from death. What that means is this. When you see a person sinning, you go to them. And you go to them first in prayer, because that humbles you so that you can see the beam in your own eye before you approach them about a speck in their eye. And so we do something. I think that's pretty clear. Look at the latter half of verse 16. That is not so clear. There he talks about that sin that leads to death, and we're not supposed to pray for that. So let's try to figure this out. So the sin that leads to death, uh, we need to call out, some of you have come from a Roman Catholic background, 
And some of you might be thinking, ah, yes, this is the mortal versus venial uh, sins. In other words, the damning sins versus the non-damning sins. Uh, We have to keep in mind, uh, Scripture interprets Scripture. And so the Bible says in uh, Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So we know that all sin is death. All right? So what's he talking about here? Well, let's go back to chapter 3 in 1 John, verse 14. He says, this is how we know that we have passed from death to life when we love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. So this sin that leads to death is not a physical death, but it is a spiritual death. And what John has been talking about in this letter, he's been talking about those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, like flat out reject him. Also, he's talking about those who refuse to love those who are Christians. And then also he's talking about those who have left the fellowship. They've actually left the church. And he uses the word those. Before, notice it's very subtle, but before he calls them brothers, but then he says those. He's no longer talking about Christians. In chapter 2, verse 19, he identifies them and he calls them the Antichrist. Those who went out from us, but they were not of us. Okay, so what is he talking about? Those who have apostatized. Those who have, if you will, left the faith full out. Now, and then we have to ask the question, well, then why not pray for them? The key here is he's talking about confidence in prayer. Confidently, we can pray for a brother or sister who has sinned, and we can expect restoration. What he's saying is when the person has apostatized, when they are now what we call apostate, out of the faith, they're no longer calling themselves Christian, there's no more confidence because their heart is hardened. The author of Hebrews chapter 6 puts it this way. He says, it is impossible to restore those who have fallen away from the faith in this way. Now, whenever we have these hard verses, we have to admit this is a hard topic. I think particularly this is a hard topic because there are those of us, we have children who have walked away from the faith. We have children who have been baptized. We had a baptism this morning, and we say, God, what does this mean for our kids who have walked away from the faith? At the very minimum, what it's saying is, is when you have a kid who is not yet apostatized, who says, you know what, I reject all things, we keep on praying. And we pray confidently. And we pray in such a way that we have action where we call our kids back to faith. And yet if we have a kid who says, I reject this flat out, I never want this again, our confidence is shaken because of the hard heart that is in them. And so what do we do? I think we keep yearning, we keep praying, we keep talking, but I think what it's saying is is there is an acknowledgement of the hardness of heart, and we bring that before God. What do we do with this confidence? We bring this in prayer. But also there's a confidence that says we can overcome sin. So let's continue and look at this second point, verses 17 through 19. Because Jesus has come, we have confidence to overcome any sin. Look at verse 17. All wrongdoing is sin. That's a good definition. Sin is rebellion against God. It's saying, God, my way. But then he says, there is a sin that does not lead to death. 
This is a challenge, but what he's saying is, is in 1 John, the book we're studying, chapter 1, verse 9, one of our memory verses, he says, if you confess your sins, if you repent, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to give us life. And what he's saying is, there's sin that does not lead to death in the sense that when you confess your sin, you are forgiven and you are found in Christ. But then he says, look, if you do not confess your sin, if you refuse Jesus, that is the sin that leads to death. That is the sin that, if you will, is unforgivable that Jesus talks about because that is the person who says, I do not want Jesus. Look at verse 18. But what do we know? So using that word know, he says, one of the things we know is that we're born of God. That means born again. We have the Holy Spirit. We are true Christians. And he says, one of the things that we know is when you are born of God, you do not keep on sinning. And so, yes, you may struggle with sin, but it does not rule over you. Let me give an example, anger. How many of you have ever said, you know what, that person made me angry? Um, I just couldn't help myself. I was just so angry. And here, what we're seeing is, is we are given grace to repent of that anger. So if you are one who is angry often, what the Bible is saying is then you repent often, and you turn away from that sin often. But also, not only do you repent, you have faith often. And the faith is this. You're no longer a slave to sin, according to Paul in Romans 6, but now you are a slave to righteousness. And so we do not keep on sinning because we have been given the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit makes us aware of our sin struggle. But then also the Holy Spirit says there is grace that is greater than our sin. And we say, Holy Spirit, help me to change. Help me to put off the anger and to put on love. That is a fruit and work of the Spirit. Verse 19, what also do we know? Uh, We see at the end, we know that the whole world is in the power of the evil one. Jesus says in John 12 that Satan is the ruler of this world. But what do we know? We know that we're from God. In this letter, John has been giving a series of tests of those who have been truly born again. He says, if you are one who is obeying Christ, that's a moral test. You show that you really love him. But it's also, if you love one another, that's a social test and you've passed. But also, if you proclaim and testify that Jesus is the Son of God, you have passed a doctrinal test. And what John is saying is, when you see God give you faith and he brings you through these tests, you have assurance. You have assurance that you know that you're born of God. You have assurance that the Holy Spirit is in you. You have assurance then that you can even overcome sin and stand strong in any trial. In our church, we have uh, the confession. We also have our catechism, um, the Westminster. If you were born and raised in the Dutch tradition, you have the Heidelberg Catechism. In Heidelberg Catechism number one, in my opinion, is one of the most clear statements of assurance in any catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? Some of you have this memorized. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Do you hear that? What that means is no evil can touch you, only that which God allows. When you suffer, it's not the punishment of God because Jesus has taken all punishment. Instead, now you are in a trial, and that trial is to refine your faith, which is more precious than gold or silver because it is the faith that brings you close to Jesus. And so what God is saying is that he gives us grace to overcome, to grow you closer in fellowship with God. Friends, this is why we can pray confidently for sinners. Why? Because God loves sinners. He sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we might become children of the living God. So then how do we pray for sinners? One of the ways that we pray is, God, give them conviction of of their sin. Holy Spirit, show them. Make sin utterly sour, foul, bitter to them. God, would you give them grace to avail the means of grace that they would come to your word, that they would come to prayer, that they would come to the fellowship of the church? God, would you give them humility? Would you give them a trust in the grace of Jesus? God, would you do that even in me? The last confidence that we see in this passage is fellowship with God. Very quickly, what we see is because Jesus has come, we have confidence that he will always be with us to the very end. He will always be with us. Look at verse 20. Again, this word we know. What do we know? We know that the Son of God has come. Here he's hearkening back to chapter one, verse one. That which we have heard, seen with our eyes, looked upon, touched. And then he says, also we know that he has given us understanding. He has given us faith to see Jesus as the Son of God and what he has come to do. What did he come to do? Jesus came to die upon the cross to save sinners. Jesus lived a righteous life for me and he died on the cross to pay for my unrighteousness. Then look at how verse 20 continues. There's this double use of the word know. When we know that Jesus is the Son of God, look what he says, then we know him. We know about him that he is the true God, that he is eternal life. He's not just the way to life. He is life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Then also look, we know him personally. We are in him who is true. What he's talking about here is our union in Christ through faith. Union in Christ is saying, Jesus, you are my identity. Jesus, you are my life. Jesus, you are my fellowship with God. This is why I was created to know God, and to be with God. What is that repeated Old Testament refrain? I will be their God and they shall be my people. What is the New Testament fulfillment? Let me read from Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What assurance. Confidence of our fellowship with God. And then verse 21 Keep yourselves from idols. (laughs) What a wonderful way for the spiritual father to end the letter. What he's saying is run from all those things that distract you. All those things that distance you from Jesus, run away from those. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as Savior? Is he your Lord? Do you have assurance that you belong to Jesus because of what he has done upon the cross? Do you know that your prayers are heard, that you are with him, that he gives you power to overcome? Are you clinging to Jesus? Because there's nowhere else you would rather go. Today's Palm Sunday. We've been using Psalm 118 a lot. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that was our Old Testament reading is the first uh, four verses. How does Psalm 118 start? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Because Jesus has come, have certainty of his love, that your prayers are heard, that he will overcome in your life and then he will never leave you nor forsake you because you are his forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we come in your name because there is no other name. We come in the name of Jesus saying, give us this confidence. Help us to believe what you so clearly state in your word that when we belong to you, Lord Jesus, all the benefits, all the privileges, all the promises are ours because of what you have done. Jesus, give us a boldness in our prayer that we would indeed pray for anything, knowing that by faith, sometimes you will say no, and that no is a good thing. God, give us grace to overcome sin, that we would not be entangled. Give us grace to pray for those in sin. And God, give us confidence that we are always with you. Today, a very special prayer is, God, we do pray for our kids, particularly kids who are not walking tight with the Lord. God, convict them. Show them the foulness of their sin. God, prompt their hearts to turn back to you. God, you never give up. Help us to never give up as well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can I ask the worship team to come forward? And as they're coming forward, would you please uh, be ready to stand quickly as we sing Anchor of Hope.